Okay, let's pray, shall we? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can just come here this morning, week before Christmas, and just so enjoy your presence and your peace in our lives. And so, God, I pray that uh, you will strengthen us, just give us an ear to hear what your Spirit's saying, and just speak to each and every one of us some things that we can personally put into action this week. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as you can see, the title of my message this morning is A Few Things I've Learned Since I Knew It All. Uh, Penny and I came to Whangarei 28 years ago with the expectation of very quickly winning the city for Jesus. And... uh, didn't quite happen as we expected. Uh, when we were younger, some of us thought we, we really knew everything there was to know about how to do stuff. Uh, but I want to share with you this morning some, just some of those things that I've learned. And I'm going to take, um, I'm going to frame it around the 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to do that because, first of all, I've never preached on the 23rd Psalm in the uh, 35 years that I've been a minister. And uh, just in looking at it and praying over it um, this week, I've realized, man, what a great series that would have been if I'd just taken that <laughs> verse by verse by verse in an exponential way. Um, so I'm going to condense it all, and you're going to get it all shotgun. <laughs> and uh, one of the reasons why I want to do the 23rd Psalm is because most of you know it. And so you'll be able to latch onto that and you'll be able to remember some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning. So we're going to read it. And I'm reading it from the uh, NIV version and it says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love, in some versions it says, uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 1975, I went on a missions trip with my church, Hamilton Assemblies of God, to Rarotonga. And we went there because our church had been involved in planting the very first Assemblies of God church uh, on the island of Rarotonga. In fact, when I, uh, when I revisited Rarotonga, must have been 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, I was sitting on the beach there and I, I got a message that the police constable wanted to see me. And I thought, oh, no, what's gone wrong? And what it was was that uh, he had heard that I was on the island and he wanted to meet me and he wanted to show me uh, what had happened to the Assemblies of God Church at that stage. And uh, his, um, his uncle was Takua Tangaroa, who was the very first AOG pastor on the Cook Islands. But anyway, on this particular day, we... Uh, We'd gone up to the prison and we'd um, done prison work and uh, then uh, we decided that the following morning uh, a number of us would 
get up early and we'd climb the largest mountain on the island of Rarotonga. So we got up just before daybreak, got in our vehicle, drove up to the foot of um, where the path finishes and off we went. And we, we climbed for about an hour and a half, might have been two hours, and we finally got to the peak. And we looked out at the view of the sea, and it was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And then we looked inland, and to our shock horror, we realized we'd climbed the wrong mountain. <laughs> and there wasn't time for us to change, <laughs> and we just had to go down really, really deflated. You know, in life, it's really easy to be tricked into climbing the wrong mountain and spending the whole of your life striving after stuff that has absolutely no eternal value or consequence. I think one of my <coughs> regrets out of my time working in the dairy industry was seeing many of my friends and colleagues spend their whole life sacrificing everything for their careers and their huge expected superannuation cash payouts, often at the expense of their marriages and their families and their health, only to die within five years of retiring. What an absolute waste. It's important, it's so important to make sure that you're heading in the right direction and climbing the right mountain in life. You don't want to get to the end of your life and look back with regret. So the most important thing I've learned, especially over the last 28 years, is make Jesus Lord of your life. <clears throat> Psalm 23 starts with the words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And most of us quickly grasp hold of the promise, I shall not be in want. And we want that. We want God's provision. Uh, we want Him looking after our things. Uh, but we fail to recognize that the condition to the promise, if you want to not be in want, you first have to make Jesus Lord of your life. Uh, many of us know Jesus as Savior, the one who died for our sins. But the Western church in latter times has neglected to teach the people the need to be fully surrendered to Jesus. It's not a popular message, but it's the key to life, people. Uh, when we make Jesus our Lord, we surrender to him and his will daily. As Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus called it dying to self carrying your cross. Watchman Nee, the famous um, Chinese um, theologian, called it the normal Christian life. And that has to happen daily. <laughs> when I gave my life to Jesus at university in 1971, I gave him my whole life to do whatever he wanted to do with. Many times I've sat in Pastor Tark's office and we've talked about this and we've reminisced how when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ it didn't matter what he said we would do it if he said go and live in Ekanahuna we would be off to Ekanahuna 
It was a completely different mindset, but it was based on surrender. When Jesus Christ is Lord in your life, he's calling the shots in your life. If he's not calling the shots, he's not Lord. And if he's not Lord, he's not your shepherd. Because if he is not Lord, you won't be following him because you'll be either following another or going in your own way. And unless we're totally surrendered people, we invariably start climbing other mountains, and that always leads to a lack of fruitfulness and regrets. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Look, I know you have lots of needs, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things will be added. It's always put Jesus first and then the other will happen. When you surrender to Jesus and allow him to take control of your life, he will automatically become your shepherd. Uh, John 10.10 says, the thief, the enemy, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to guide us and lead us and feed us if we will let him. He wants us to experience his provision. He wants us to experience his protection, his peace, his presence. And that has been my lifelong experience. But it's come out of surrender. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You know, last words are, always really, really important. And uh, these are my last words to us as a family, as your senior minister. And in a sense, the last words are the most important. And the most important thing, people, is to make Jesus Christ your Lord. Surrender to him. And that brings me to my second point. As our shepherd, God's more interested in us than what we can do for him. We don't have to perform for his love. I've always been incredibly goal-orientated, whether it's on the sports field, whether it was in industry, uh, whether it's in leading a church. Uh, and with that drive and makeup, and some of you are like that as well, it's real easy to base our identities on the position that we hold or what we do or what we achieve. But, and this is, this is an area that guys have to really address uh, because often we get caught up in the corporate world or the business world And uh, we forget that our identity is not based on what we do. One of the things I've realized even more lately is that God first called me to himself to know him and be intimate with him before he called me to do stuff for him. So what I've learned is that my relationship with God is absolutely vital. So I need to prioritize growing in him. 
I was just sitting down the front, just worshiping. And when we came to that last song, I was crying. And then I, I thought to myself, that's not going to stop when I finish up as a senior pastor of this congregation. I'm not crying because I'm paid to do it. I'm crying because I've got a relationship with Jesus. And that's not going to change. In fact, I kind of think that my relationship with the Lord is actually going to grow. Uh, because the pressure and the weight of doing stuff often can get in the road of just being. You know, we're human beings before we're human doings. My identity, my intrinsic value is not based on what I do or the position I hold. Often how people see themselves is determined by how they perform or by what others say about them. But as Christians, our identity should be based on what God says about us. You know, we have identity and we have value because we're created in the image of God. We are God's masterpiece. Uh, Penny and I have visited many of the great museums in Europe and seen the masterpieces on the walls of these. And, you know, those masterpieces have incredible value. Some of them, not because of the picture. Some of them look pretty rubbishy, actually. But a masterpiece has value because it's painted, it's created by the master. And you and I have value because we've been made by the master. We are unique. Jesus Christ died for us. And Jesus lives in us and is working in us. You know, Fort Knox in the United States has value, not because of the architectural style of the building, not because of the size of the building. It has value because it holds the gold reserve of the United States within it. Fort Knox has value because of what's inside it. And we have value this morning because we have the Holy Spirit within us. That makes us valuable. We are the light of the world. We are the child of God. We are Christ's friends. We are a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. The uh, Bible tells us that we are precious. We're the head, not the tail. We have a future and we have a hope. We are the apple of his eye and we are the pearl of great price. We are the ones that God gave up everything, gave up his son so that we could have a relationship with him. That gives us value. God gave us everything to purchase us back from the world. God loved us before we tried to do anything for him. And because he loves us, the Lord, our shepherd, makes provision for all of our needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual, when we place ourselves under his care. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is that Jesus wants us to stay healthy in body, soul, and spirit. He's the restorer of our souls. We need that, but we need to work 
at creating a healthy, vibrant lifestyle where we aren't breaking down all the time. The race of life is not a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's more like an Ironman race. And for those of you who follow athletics, you'll know that the Ironman race has three disciplines. has a 3.8-kilometer swim. And just to let you know, I couldn't, I couldn't swim half a kilometer, let alone 3.8 kilometers. It has a 180-kilometer bike ride, and it has a 42K marathon. If you fail in any one of these disciplines, you won't finish the race. It's no good being one of the greatest marathon runners if you can't swim. It's no good being a great swimmer if you're no good on the bike. You have to have the swimming, riding, and running together if you're going to finish that race. And the same is true in our lives. The three areas of discipline that we need to be continually assessing and building up in our lives are our spiritual, our emotional, and our physical tanks. We need to keep them all filled. Many great leaders with great spiritual lives have burned out because they have allowed themselves to get emotionally depleted or physically unfit. One of the friends that I made over the years was a wonderful man um, who wrote a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. His name is Jerry Cook. And Jerry was telling me he, he built a church from 100 to 3,000 in less than two years. That's church growth. That's amazing. Jerry was telling me how one day he walked into his office and it took him uh, just over three-quarters of an hour to decide which chair in his office that he was going to sit down in. And then when he sat down, all he could do was cry. He was emotionally completely burned out. He had a fantastic spiritual life in terms of his discipline, in terms of his prayer life, in terms of his reading of the Word of God, but he hadn't paid attention to his emotional tank, and so when that drained, he hit rock bottom. Please don't think something like that couldn't happen to you. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to look after them. So this morning, if I was to ask you, how full is your physical tank? What would you say? 50%? 50% full? 70% full? 90%? Some of you might be 10%. What about your emotional tank? How full are you emotionally? What about your spiritual tank? How full is your spiritual tank? People, one of the things I've learned is that you need to pay attention to all three of those if you're going to fulfill the plans and the purposes that God has for your life. Number four, verse three, it says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I am so pleased about this verse because Jesus wants to guide us and lead us. Isn't that good? Is, isn't that good? He, he actually wants to guide us 
and lead us. That just takes a whole weight off us when you realize that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, has got a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to actually guide you into his plans. That means that we need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. We need to take time out to listen. Even before I knew Jesus, looking back, I can see that he was opening and closing doors for me so that I could walk into his plans. I think there's three little keys to fulfilling God's plans in your life. One, pray. You've got to pray. Because it's as you pray that you still yourself and you have an ear to hear what, you, what the Spirit is saying. And you're never going to walk into everything that God has for you unless you're hearing it's still small voice. I think one of the great things that happened to me when I went to Chile in 1990 was I totally surrendered afresh to God and said, God, I'm going to do all that I can to learn how to hear your voice. And I made it a passion. I began to read about it. I began to do it. And that has been something which has strengthened me over the years. The mistakes that I've made, and there have been many, have mostly come when I've run ahead of God and when I haven't stopped to listen to what the Holy Spirit has been saying. It's still a small voice. So pray. Keep your heart in His hands by being surrendered. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, if you want to know the plans that God's got for you, they start in verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will find me. When you find Jesus, you find his plans and purposes as well. Proverbs 21.1, the the king's heart is the stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So if you keep your heart in his hands, it doesn't matter what direction you're walking in, he can just change your heart, turn you around, move you into this, move you into that. And that was my experience. One, one week I was an executive in the dairy industry. The next week, Jesus is telling me how many more young men will die before you'll preach my word. At that time, my career in the dairy industry was finished. And God had a new direction that he wanted me to walk in. And stay teachable. Stay teachable and hungry to learn. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I love what the great theologian, Henry Ford, said. He said, anyone who stops learning is old, whether 20 or 80. Anyone who keeps learning stays young. John Wesley told young ministers, either read and grow or get out of the ministry. And that applies not just to ministers it applies to life you gotta be teachable you gotta keep learning you gotta seek out things Uh, because we're in the pass it on business the apostle paul says 
for I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. And that's what God fills us up with, not just to bless us, but so that we can be a blessing to others. We're in that pass it on business. Everyone who has been in this church for three years, two to three years, you should be able to take a small group leading others. You've got enough sermons, you've got enough material to be able to lead others into it. He's just waiting for you to use that stuff that you've been given. And by the way, uh, uh, Bonnie's copied off uh, USBs with uh, the last 28 years of my sermons on them. And I'd suggest those of you who are involved in leading others, get a copy of those. And not because they're fantastic sermons, but because there's lots of scriptures there. And it'll give you ideas as you seek to be able to pass on stuff. So, Bonnie, have you still got some more of those USBs? Yep. Yeah, and if we run out, she'll copy a whole pile more. And so I've given those uh, out to pastors and leaders. And uh, one of the big things as a young minister that you're always looking for is materials that you can make your own. And I was really fortunate that the, uh, my previous senior pastor, when he left, I found one of his sermon books. He'd left it in the office. And I preached my very first sermon out of that book. And it was a great sermon. Man, it was good. But it was all his points. We're in the pass it on business. Grow, grow, grow and pass it on. When Jesus is our Lord and shepherd, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life, people. Jesus will always be with you to get you through. And you can have his peace in the middle of the storm if you've got Jesus with you in your boat. Uh, John Wesley, the great revivalist who started the Methodist movement. When Penny and I were in London, and I was just reminiscing before the service with Joe about a fantastic holiday we, uh, we had in London, uh, staying with people that were boarding um, Joe. And uh, on one of the first days, we, Penny and I went to Westminster Abbey, and we had to ask as to where it was, but we found the plaque which had John Wesley's greatest sayings. And uh, the last of his was taken from <clears throat> the words that he spoke on his deathbed. And they, the people who were there said that as he was dying, <clears throat> he raised his hand, raised his fist in triumph. And he said, the best of all is God is with us. How good is that? <clears throat> I've always appreciated God's presence with me through my life. And honestly, I would never have survived the hard times which we all go through without recognizing his presence. Always look for it. People say that the sun still shines even when it's raining. 
Even when there's clouds, the sun is still shining. Look for God's presence in every moment, and that will change your disposition. Look for it and be encouraged by it. Point number six. God's blessings are a witness to unbelievers. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You can appreciate that I could preach a whole sermon on every one of these verses. But I'm just trying to give you that overview this morning so that you can go and do your own research. How we handle hard times is going to be a witness. Our life is a witness. God's blessings are a witness to um, unbelievers. We just have to be prepared to share with them. God prepares a table filled with good things in the presence of my enemies. About a month ago, I had a contractor come and do some earthworks on my property. I am building a carport for my boat and uh, I need, didn't want the carport too, too hugely high so I had to dig out about that much soil and anyway I got talking to the contractor and got talking to um, him and he was talking about the boat and everything else and, and I said to him you know last year I won a boat and he said what? What happened? Tell me about it. Well, that was an invitation. <laughs> so I told him how I won this boat, but I didn't just stop there. I said, you know, back in 1990, uh, I had a really nice boat. And uh, I sold that boat to pay for my family and I to go to Chile and look after a little church over there who's pastor was coming back on furlough for three and a half months and he said oh why did you do that and so I began to share with him and then I said you know the boat that I sold was exactly the same size as the boat that I won is that a coincidence it was just God saying hey I saw that I saw that sacrifice that guy was totally taken back I was able to talk about God with him. You know, when I got his bill, it was a third what I expected. <laughs> now, I didn't share with him to get a discount. <laughs> but obviously, he was really, really touched. He didn't have to do that. But he did. And I believe that God will use that, those words shared, just to push his God button. And... We've got to realize the blessings that God brings our way, we can share with unbelievers and tell them about the goodness of God. And they will watch you as you go through good times. They'll watch you as you go through bad times. I remember going on an executive retreat to Rotorua. And uh, as was their custom on the Friday night, they were... Uh, drinking up large, and I was on or orange juice. And uh, the following morning, as the guys were trying to overcome their hangovers, the general manager of the dairy company came up to me. He says, he says, Don, 
you had just as much fun as we did last night. But look at you now. And I was just smiling. (laughs) They watch. They will see. They will see. God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Verse 5, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus wants to regularly fill us to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit was a life changer for me. And it was a life changer for thousands of others during the charismatic move. And the reality was we didn't understand the theology of it back then. Uh, but we experienced God in a, just an incredibly, incredible new way. It was like we had a head knowledge. We knew that God existed, but we didn't have a heart knowledge. And when he poured out his Holy Spirit on us, everything changed. Everything came alive. And we saw his miraculous gifts at work in us and through us. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, 18, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that the Spirit, like fire, has a propensity to get dull in our life. And we have to keep stoking the fire. We have to keep coming to the Holy Spirit and asking Him for more. We have to keep hungry for Him. If you haven't been filled yet, seek God for it. I remember Zena, who died this Monday, telling me that uh, she was brought up in a church that preached against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But she was hungry for God. And... One day at home, as she was crying out to God, as she was praying, she just started speaking in a new tongue. And she didn't know what it was. She said it quite frightened her to start off with. But in a sense, it overwhelmed her. By herself, nobody laying hands on her, just her heart's desire for more of God And God filled her. And that can be your experience as well. I remember my brother-in-law, one of my brothers-in-law, who had gone up in an altar call at Hamilton AOG. And he was a doctor and uh, he was quite an intellectual guy. And often he he would, his mind would get in the road of what he wanted to see happen in, in the spirit. And I remember at that altar call just coming up behind him just gently and he turned around to talk to me and all that came out was tongues. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit and it changed his life. Verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the things I've learned over these years is the best is still to come. The best is still to come. 
King David wrote that God's goodness and God's love would follow him all the days of his life. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every morning. Every morning they're new. Not just once a week. Every morning they are new. Uh, other translations of um, verse 6 of Psalm 23 say, Goodness and mercy. Uh, mercy is the fact that God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Aren't you glad God doesn't give you what you deserve? <laughs> It'd be pretty sad if he did. Uh, mercy is grace in action. We all stumble and fall. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. And I've learned that failure isn't final. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We know that. And he delights, that's the Lord, delights in his way. And then verse 24 says, When he falls. It's not if he falls. <laughs> it's when he falls. If you haven't made, it, made a mistake yet, that's fantastic. Bad news is, you're going to. When he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. We need God's goodness, and we need his mercy. We need his love and acceptance and forgiveness. We need his pardon, and we need his healing. And mercy, like goodness, follows us in life. Not some of the days but all of the days, all of the days, God doesn't turn his goodness and his mercy on and off. He doesn't treat you nice one day and the next day treat you badly. All of the days of my life, I have God's goodness and God's mercy and I can experience his love. No matter what I am going through. Wow. Have I needed that over the years? But also, God is preparing us to spend eternity with him in heaven. God says, hey, I've got a great life planned for you guys. And goodness and love and mercy are going to follow you. You know, I've come that you might have life and life uh, more abundantly. But this life isn't the end because we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Jesus saves the best till last. The best is yet to come. Only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something that everybody knows is inevitable. The one sure statistic is that every one of us are going to die someday. If you've made Jesus your Lord, <clears throat> then you're going to heaven. We may spend 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years here on earth, but we're going to spend billions of years in eternity. And where you spend eternity is going to depend on how you respond to Jesus and his love for you right now. Don't waste your life. Live life 
in the light of eternity. When you face the future, what do you see? Do you look at it with eyes of doubt? With eyes of expecting the worst? Or can you believe God and His Word and face the future expecting God to be with you and His goodness and His love and His mercy to follow you all the days of your life? You know, it's amazing how much better life gets when you start actively looking for God's goodness and God's mercy in every experience. It'll change your life. If I know the shepherd, I don't have to fear anything. I don't need to fear poverty because the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I don't need to fear loneliness for he is with me. I don't need to fear mistakes because he guides me on the right path. I don't need to fear failure because he restores my soul. I don't need to fear the future because goodness Love and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I don't even need to fear death because I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (coughs) Of all the things that I've learned, I've learned to make Jesus my Lord and shepherd and live in his provision. And you can too. Amen.